Turn with me in your Bibles. Start in Jeremiah, start in Isaiah, Isaiah 34. We're going to go in order, so we're going to hit a, a number of places, but we're going to go in consecutive order. As I've said before, about a fourth of the Bible is related to prophecy, so we would be here for a long time if we covered all the passages. Uh, I was telling Randy um, that uh, a fraction of what I have studied makes it to the cutting room floor because there's just too much to cover. And we're doing six weeks of this, and I do think that eventually we're going to come back and do the entire book of Revelation or Daniel, and I can actually do either one of them because they both actually are mirrors of one another. But uh, at some point we'll come back and do that. But this is kind of the, uh, the gr- ground floor foundational stuff that the Lord wants all of us to be aware of. And where we live. Isaiah chapter 34, I'll start there, and we're going to kind of hit a number of passages before we look at some things in detail. Starting with verse 1, Isaiah 34. Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Does it say exclamation in your Bible? It's like a last day's advertisement by the Lord. Come near, you nations, to hear and heed, you people. Let the earth hear and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it, for the indignation of the Lord is against all nations. That includes the United States. And his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. This is now already looking past when it's happened. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses And the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved. The heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All the host shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as fruit falling from the fig tree. There's Israel again, by the way. Turn over now to Jeremiah chapter 30. You're going to be moving right the whole rest of the way here. So you don't have to worry about, is that left or right? You're right the whole rest of the way. Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30, starting verse 4. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Other than that movie with Danny DeVito and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger which isn't real. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Jeremiah chapter 30. While you're there, look over at 31. By the way, there's Midrash there. That's a repetitive theme with a final fulfillment. Look at uh, the 31st chapter. Look at verse 15. It, uh, I bring this out because we're here and it's in the Christmas season. You'll probably recognize this uh, because this is quoted with the birth of Christ. Um, look at verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a verse was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Remember when Herod the Great kills the baby boys? And... We know that takes place around the birth of Christ, but this Rama, this, this voice in Rama, this lamentation, this bitter weeping for, this would actually be a fulfillment that continues with the nation of Israel well beyond what took place. This would have been true when the Babylonians came in. This would have been true when Titus came in. This was true when Herod did what he did in the murder of the boy, young boys. This was true uh, in the Nazi Holocaust, and this will be true again. Lamentation, weeping, Rachel, for her children are no more. It will happen again under the Antichrist. Speaking of the Antichrist, let's move over to Daniel. Daniel chapter... Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to have to skip the image of the... Uh, 
Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and, and uh, may have a chance to touch on that, but let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, starting with verse 26, this picks up at the cross, this is the 69th week, Daniel's 70 weeks, Daniel chapter 9, after the, 69, uh, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince who is to come, that's the Antichrist, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, the end of it shall be with a flood till the end of war of de- desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's the seven years, but in the middle of the week, three and a half years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering on the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Again, that is the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Staying in Daniel, turn over just a bit to chapter 11. Chapter 11, starting with verse 36. This is again the Antichrist. 11, verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. He shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. He shall neither regard God, the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women. We don't know what that means, but he very well could be a homosexual leader. But no one knows exactly what that means. He might be so pompous that he just doesn't care about anybody, anything, anything at all but himself, which will be true anyway. Nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above them all, but in their place he shall honor a god of fortress and a god which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver and precious stones and precious things. Thus he shall act against the strong fortress with a foreign god. He shall not, um, he shall acknowledge and advance its glory and shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Turn over now to Zechariah. Just moving right. You've got Hosea there. Some other minor prophets. Joel, Micah, keep going. Come over past Habakkuk. Zephaniah, Haggai, and over to Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12, your Bibles are getting a great workout. This is an aerobic workout for your Bible. It's getting the heart rate up. It's good to meditate on it, right? That's rest, that's like that nine hours sleep you need sometimes, and it's also good to get the heart rate up of of the Word of God. And so, uh, Zechariah chapter 12, starting with verse 10, and I will pour on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son, and grieve for him who grieves for a firstborn. And that day there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. Jesus revealed. Morning in the earth, morning in Jerusalem, but they'll look upon him whom they pierce as he comes and he pierces the clouds. Over to our anchor text, Matthew 24. Back to back, you saw the Antichrist and you saw the living Christ. You saw God's judgment in the nations, Isaiah 34. The time of Jacob's trouble, Jeremiah chapter 30. And then the one who has the keys to all of it, just days before the cross, the one who holds the keys to heaven and hell, the one that holds the keys to the future, the one that created the world, the one that died on the cross for our sins, he tells us a lot, doesn't he? Olivet Discourse, just days before the cross. We've been there each of the last several weeks, starting with verse 15. Matthew chapter 24, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by who? Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place. Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who's on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. If you're on the housetop, you better run through the house, not grab a single thing, not check the time on the microwave, anything. Run. Don't grab your watch. 
Jesus says, you will not have even a second to spare. And let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. Verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. You do not want to be here and pregnant in the great tribulation. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or in Sabbath. That's when the ground gets soggy and you run a lot slower. The rains, if there's any rain, uh, the little bit of uh, rain that Israel gets is in the winter season. Verse 21, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will deceive and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go. Look, he's in their room, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And that is speaking of Armageddon, the great battle at the end where the carcasses will be glad. There's more to read in the 24th chapter. We don't have time, so let's go to the last text before we start to look at these things a little bit more in depth. Revelation chapter 6. Go all the way to the last book of the Bible, Revelation 6. Can the tribulation be covered in an hour? Yes and no. <laughs> can be covered in five minutes, <laughs> but you're only going to get a, a smaller window of view. Um, Revelation 6, starting with verse 12. This is John the Apostle speaking. He's been caught up and he sees these things taking place. He sees the Lamb of God, who is none other than Jesus Christ, releasing the seals. He's the only one worthy to release the seals of telling each of these judgments that take place. Starting with verse 12, I looked and he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became a sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. You can also see this in Isaiah chapter 24. Jesus speaks of it as well in the Olivet Discourse. Verse 13, the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll. Ever seeing that? We just read that. Uh, when it's rolled up and every mountain and island, every mountain and island moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in caves and the rocks and the mountains and said to the mountains and the rock, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne from the wrath of the lamb. You've never seen a lamb that has wrath. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Let's pray. Father, we, we just pray, Lord, that your word would be magnified, that Jesus, who is the word, would be high and lifted up. And Lord, as we're reading right here in the book of Revelation, the revelation of your son, Lord, that you would reveal the utter urgency and importance of these things, that we would be ready, our lamps lit, wearing white robes, ready for your return, but also faithfully working, not in our own power, not in our own strength, for we have none, Lord, but working in the power of the Holy Spirit in the days in which we live, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and take a look here. Um, you can go to the first slide. Everything I just read of, go ahead and go to uh, the creation to eternity. We've already covered in the last, uh, this is week five, and then next week we'll be up here, the kingdom and the new heaven, new earth, all, all of eternity. We've already covered the last days, that was our prophecy 101 and 102. We covered the final hours nearing fulfillment. I believe that's where we live right now. We're somewhere in here. Whether we're here, 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 we don't know, but we believe that we're in the final hours. And then everything I just read about is right there in red. Seven years. Do you realize that a two-term president only serves for eight? Seven years. If the tribulation had started when President Obama had come into office, four years would already be gone. We would already be gone. Many presidents have served two terms. Reagan, Bush, Clinton, now President Obama. 
Two to eight years. Not a lot of time, is it, folks? But what God pours out in those seven years boggles the mind. Truly boggles the mind because Jesus said nothing in the world has ever been before it nor ever shall be. It doesn't even, it defies logic that the world could even survive at all when you look at some of the things that we'll take a look at. One reminder as we look at um, uh, the next view here. I mentioned Midrash, and I continue to mention, I mentioned it again Wednesday night, because you cannot understand prophecy and have just a myopic view. You've got, the reason I read in so many passages, I wanted you to see, and I left out hundreds of verses just to see that the scriptures are laid over layer, over layer, over layer, over layer, over layer. All these things are foretold. They can be clearly understood that the Old Testament and New Testament are perfect harmony with one another, and where you have imagery, the images are usually explained. Like, for example, Daniel did not understand the image of the beast, he said, but the angel comes and tells him what it means. He didn't understand the image at first, but the angel tells him what it all means, what the little horn means, which we didn't even read some of those things. But it's important to know that the text and the context and all the previous passages help us understand these things that have not yet taken place, and clearly they have not te- yet taken place. There's people that believe, and, and some of them are believers, but they're, they're, definitely, um, they're definitely misunderstanding Scripture uh, in a great, great uh, degree. Uh, there's some that believe that these things have already all happened, and uh, you know, that they're all just kind of typology. Folks, some of the things in Revelation have never happened ever in the world. They've not happened yet. They're going to happen, but there's no precedent. There's foreshadowings of them, right? But there's not, these things have not happened. So Midrash is so important to understanding the prophetic meaning of these things. Now let's take a look at the tribulation timeline a little more in detail. Uh, if you're here with us Wednesday night, well, first of all, we've already covered the rapture of the church, which I personally believe. I won't be dogmatic. There are absolutely people that, that love the Lord that believe that the rapture of the church is right here in the middle of the tribulation, or right after when I, remember when I read in Revelation 6, it says the wrath of the Lamb, there are people that are pre-wrath rapture, rapturist, that believe that the rapture of the church is right there before the wrath of the Lamb. Already, we've already had six seals that are delivered on the earth. I cannot imagine being here for those six seals. They're pretty wrathful already <laughs> when, you, when we look at those in just a second. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, so you might have believers that believe that the rapture is not before the tribulation, that it's actually in the middle of the tribulation, or right there between the sixth and seventh seal, I don't, I don't agree with that because uh, the Bible tells us that we're not appointed to wrath, and I believe that when we see John called up into heaven, um, this, takes place, um, this takes place before uh, we see in chapter 4, uh, after these things I looked, and behold, a door standing up heaven, and the voice said, come up here and I will show you these things, and I believe that it's a picture. Jesus is speaking to the church in the first three chapters. John comes up come up here, we do not see the church mentioned again uh, all the way until uh, at the end we see Jesus telling us to be ready for his return at the end of Revelation. But nevertheless, uh, there are some that do not believe that the rapture takes place before the tribulation and that you will be going through, in fact, some of it. Uh, If I'm wrong and they're right, we'll all know that together, (laughs) right? Right? If I'm right and they're wrong, we'll all know that together. We'll be in the clouds together. So it's not that... uh, The important thing is to know that um, most people, I think, that look at all of prophecy as literal believe that the church is gone by the middle of the tribulation. Um, So, again, I'm I'm very confident uh, in what I've studied that I think that the rapture takes place here. But... What takes place right after that? Well, uh, this particular chart I got from somewhere else, and 
this individual agrees with me. Uh, I believe that the battle of Gog and Magog, which takes place in Ezekiel 38 and 39, I believe that it is either just before the tribulation, that Israel, personally I believe Israel will be attacked by Russia and the allies. I believe when Russia is soundly defeated, it will create an immediate power vacuum and there'll be a worldwide economic uh, crisis out of it that the Antichrist will have ample opportunity to step in and say, I've got an answer for all this. And the world will be looking to somebody for an answer. Russia will be soundly defeated. Many other nations will be involved in that attack. And uh, you would actually have a global collapse of economic systems. Israel, of course, will not trust anyone at that moment. And someone's going to have to convince them to sign what? A seven-year covenant. And, of course, we know the weapons of Magog are burned for how many years? Seven years. So it has to come at least prior to the seven years. It can come you know, well before it and happen well before the tribulation, but it can't take place in the middle of the tribulation because it, the weapons would be burning past the Battle of Armageddon. And if I'm confusing you, these things will become clear soon. <laughs> we'll go through some more of the timeline. So we've got in the tribulation, we've got uh, seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Each of them contain either judgments or they contain the uh, next chapter turning, for example, the seals turn over to the trumpets. So each of these either are a judgment of themselves or they speak to the next segment starting, each of the seven. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and you can see that the trumpets and the bowls, are they kind of hit in the middle of the tribulation. That's about the three-and-a-half-year uh, three mark. The abomination of desolation, that'll be the Antichrist. He, you notice I have co covenant in quotation because it's really no covenant. God keeps real covenants. Man doesn't, right? It's not really a covenant because he doesn't intend to keep it at all. The Antichrist knows he's going to break this. It's broken in the middle. Israel is double-crossed. And then the temple, which has to be rebuilt. That's another thing that may happen in our before the tribulation, you and I may see the temple rebuilt. So far, it has not been rebuilt. There has to be sacrifices to take away for the Antichrist to come in and desecrate the temple. And right now, the temple's not... We first had Solomon's temple. Then you had Herod's temple, right? But both were destroyed. Now there's no temple. The Dome of the Rock sits where the temple should be. But actually, there's some that say, hey, the Dome of the Rock is actually sitting in the outside where the Gentiles are anyway, and there's still room for the temple to be built. Um, I don't know exactly what that uh, looks like, but I know that the Lord will sort it out soon enough. Amen? And there will be a temple rebuilt at some point. So you've got uh, the first half is the covenant years with Israel, three and a half years. Israel is... Uh, you'll, see, you'll hear sometimes people talk about... I don't subscribe to this at all. You'll hear people talk about the three and a half, first three and a half years are a time of peace. They are not a time of peace. The first three and a half years is a peace accord. We have a lot of peace accords in the world right now. How are they working? <laughs> this one's going to work worse than all the others have ever worked. Israel, of course, will not be personally attacked during this first three and a half years, but the world will by no means be at peace the book of Revelation makes this extremely clear. So whenever you hear people say, yeah, the first three and a half years is a time of peace, and then it gets really bad. No. All seven are bad. It's the last three and a half are way worse, and if that seems conceivable. It doesn't seem conceivable when you look at the seals, which we'll look at uh, in just a couple of minutes. But anyway, the covenant with Israel is a peace accord, but there's really no peace. Israel feels like, well, at least... All the bad things that are happening in the world are happening to all of us, but no one's attacking us for being Jewish yet. That'll take place in the middle. But in the middle of all this, Christians are being killed by the thousands. People coming to Christ are being executed. The martyr of the saints will take place all throughout the tribulation, right up until the very end. It's not a good time to name the name of the Lord. Well, it... it you're not going to have the opportunity to be like today uh, in your persecution, be someone, say, uh, making fun of you or something like that. It's going to be much, much more brutal for Christians. 
the middle of the middle of tribulation again, and then you have the last uh, half, which is sometimes referred to as the great tribulation, because the 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 heater, the fire gets turned up even hotter than it already is in the first three and a half years as God pours out even more. Let's take a look at another view of the book of Revelation. Now, I didn't do this with Daniel, uh, but I wanted to, um, I actually, uh, I captured this from someone else who had broken it down. I thought this was amazingly done. Uh, these, are, these slides, are, again, are available to you, too, if, you, if you're interested. This actually gives you a good view of the book of Revelation. Up at the top, it says, wherever the view is in the new heaven, that's eternity future, that is the new Jerusalem, that is heaven, where the streets of gold, that's where all eternity with Christ. The view there is in chapters 21 and 22a, verses 1 through 7, that's the new heaven. Then you have the view in heaven, right? That's heaven right now, because heaven exists now, but there is another glory of heaven to be revealed that even people in heaven now are not seen. Even though they're in the presence of the magnificent heaven with God, there's still the glories of heaven not yet been revealed. Those are in chapters 21, 22a. The view in heaven, and you see the arrows down. This is where John is sometimes looking down, right? He sees what's go- He's in heaven. He's in heaven, but he's looking down. And then you have the view on the earth. Uh, the little... Uh, burnt orange box, that is on the Isle of Patmos. That's where John's on Patmos, and you can see Patmos at the very end there. In between, John sees other things, like the church age right there. And then it slides over to the tribulation period, which is all purple, and all that is the view of the earth. And then you see the millennium, which is in the tan boxes. We'll get to that next week. Millennium we'll cover in our final, uh, in our final study. And then you have down here the bottomless pit, which is a place for demons and Satan. Uh, more than likely it's in hell. It's probably a place that's literally, it's in hell, but there probably, there is a bottomless pit in the center of hell where some of the demons and Satan will be cast for a thousand years. And then you have the lake of fire, which is where hell and the pit and everyone that's wicked will be cast into. And that view you can see is in chapters 19 and chapters 20. So that's a chronological view. Um, even though, now that's chronological by chapter, Revel, the book of Revelation is not 100% chronological. It's mostly chronological, but it actually jumps back a few times. And we don't have time to cover that. If we do the book of Revelation, we'll get into that and you'll see where it's mostly chronological. Just like if you read um, uh, some of the Old Testament books, they're mostly chronological, but all of a sudden they'll skip out to the future or they'll go back and past. Revelation will do that. Uh, as well. Let's take a look at the seals and the bowls and the trumpets in, in a little bit of detail. Now this is an eye chart, so don't try and read it, but I'll kind of go through them for you. Um, what takes place in Revelation chapter 6, and I'll start with verse 1, uh, right after the lamb who was slain is, is um, declared worthy to open the first seal. There's a scroll Jesus himself opens the seals for the judgments of the world to begin. We saw in Isaiah chapter 34, God calls the nations to what? To judge them all. And he's going to pour out his fury on all nations, every nation, Israel, United States, Saudi Arabia, China, Russia, you name it, Brazil, every nation is going to receive the wrath of God. A couple of reasons why. One, the wickedness has gone up before the Lord. Just like it was in the days of Noah, the wickedness had reached a saturation point that God said, I am going to destroy the world. But he said he would never destroy it again by what? Water. But it is reserved now for fire. Peter tells us that. So the nations, the wickedness has risen up, and so God is going to judge all the wickedness of the nations. He's also going to be judging the rejection of his Son. It is an affront to God to reject his son. If you're here today and you've rejected Jesus, you'll meet him on judgment day for the rejection. But before that day, God's going to give a He's going to give a judgment to the whole world for the rejection of his son. The nations will be judged for rejecting his son. 
and for the wickedness that they've committed. There's also judgment poured out because the nations have abused Israel. For Zion's revenge, it's talked about in the Old Testament. For the nations that, all the nations that just voted against Israel, that goes on to the ledger. You understand that, right? God has a ledger of, of individuals and nations. You know, when the books are open, you're judged according to all of your works, right? Nations also have a ledger, and they build up a ledger of wrath. Some nations will probably get it worse than other nations. I believe America gets it as bad as anybody because we have been witnesses against ourselves here on Wednesday night and calling ourselves a nation of God, we have it on our dollar bill, we have it on our pennies, we have it on our quarters, we print it by the trillions, and God we trust. And some nations will be judged greater, I believe, than other nations, but they'll all be judged. And the sins have gone up. And you also have, at that time, the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel is judged for their rejection of Messiah for all this time, and all the wanderings they've had. It's hard to believe, as as great as Israel has been judged in the past, that they would still endure more, but yet the fullness of God's punishment has not yet been poured out. But an amazing thing, just like he says uh, in the Old Testament, that I will tear and yet I will heal. He will tear Israel in the time of Jacob's trouble, but he also is the one that's going to bring the remnant under his wings Everyone, Jesus said, you will not see me again, Jerusalem, until you say, Baruch Bashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That Jesus himself will come and take, but not before all these judgments are poured out. And so Jesus opens the sixth seal, and we see in verse 1 in chapter 6, Now I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and I heard the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So this tells us the first horse, this white horse, is the Antichrist, and he goes out. He's got seven years to conquer the world. He begins the tribulation. He looks like he's going to be good. He's on a what horse? A white horse. What does Jesus come back on? A white horse. He is the antichrist he is the fake christ he's the counterfeit he's the phony that acts like he loves jerusalem but he does not acts like he's going to bring peace but he will not right acts like he's the king of kings but he is not right but he rides on a white horse and he has a bow of course jesus has a sword that comes out of he doesn't need a bow by the way he's got a sword that comes out of his mouth called the Word of God. But this guy has to have all the trappings of the world. He has to have something that man would make. And he'll go out to conquer. And when he comes on the scene, the seals begin to be peeled off one at a time. And so the first one, the white horse, and it tells us what takes place. He will, take, he will bring war to the world. He won't bring peace. He'll bring war. He'll bring plagues. He'll bring famine. That his decisions will cause worldwide famine. The second is the red horse, and it removes peace. This is uh, the first of, there's more than one world war in the book of Revelation. Now, the war that ends all the wars is the Battle of Armageddon, which takes place at the very end of the seven years. But there are at least one two, maybe even three world wars in seven years. Can you imagine that? We don't know how many there are, but we know that the red horse brings war, and it tells us that um, people begin to kill one another, and he's given a great sword, and peace is taken from the earth. They're right there, out of the gate. Now you know, if anyone ever says, yeah, well, the first three and a half years are a time of peace, it tells us that peace is immediately taken away. Peace is gone. Peace accord is signed. Israel has a false pretense of hope in peace, but there is no peace. The scriptures say this many times. Peace, peace when there is no peace, right? We live in those days even now. Peace is removed. Third seal, a black horse, food shortage. The wars produce famine, economic collapse, 
If you think there's been economic collapse, like with uh, um, going back to uh, the, uh, the Great Depression or our recession, these are nothing. This is truly economic collapse, where a day's wages will be for just a little bit of food. The whole world will be reduced to pauper status. Yeah, there might be some elites that survive a little longer, but even it won't be for too long before the leveling is going to take place. Then you have the pale horse death. One, by, by the fourth seal, one-fourth of the world's population has died. Can you imagine that? One quarter of the world's population? What do we have, like six and a half billion people on the, on the earth now? One quarter of the world, and we're only up to seal number four. And remember, these aren't the worst of the judgments. They get progressively worse in the, uh, in the trumpets and then with the bowls. Martyrs, chap, uh, fifth seal, the call of martyrs. Christians start to be killed. Probably in the first year, being a Christian, you, you get made fun of, but at some point the tables turn and nations become more and more evil and they begin to turn on believers. Now, the church has been taken out. These are people that actually re- grabbed a Bible and begin to read it and realize that all the stuff that was preached at Calvary Chapel of Richmond on December the 2nd, uh, 2012 actually was going, actually was happening in their life. And they pick up and they start to read. And if they decide to give themselves to Christ, they can still be received, but not without great, great anguish. Other things haven't even taken place yet. Then you have a great earthquake. In verse, uh, this is the wrath of the Lamb begins. Sun turns black, moon. All these signs in heaven that Jesus talked about begin to take place. Then you have an interlude, the sealing of the 144,000. We'll take a look at that in just a second. The beginning of the trumpet judgments. I'm going to move through these quickly because we just don't have much time. A third of the world's vegetation is destroyed in the first trumpet. A third of the world's seas, bays, oceans, Mediterranean Sea. A third of the world's seas are destroyed. A third of the ships a third of the animals or the creatures in the sea all die. We don't know what takes place. It, it, it appears probably to be maybe an asteroid hits and causes great devastation. If it hit in the Pacific alone, it would accomplish this. A third of the world's fresh water supply is destroyed. A third of the world's planets uh, and stars, it's not so much they're necessarily destroyed, but something happens in the heavens where you can't even make and find a third of the stars. A third of these things begin to take place. Great signs in the heaven. Uh, Then you have these woes. Locust-like demons are released. I truly believe that literally God will let out of the great pit demons and people will see. Now, people have been worshiping demons for a long time. Now they're going to get, God says, you like demons? I'll give you demons. They'll get to meet them face to face. And they torment the world for a season. Then you have uh, a half of the world's population is killed by a 200 million man, and we don't know if that is a man army from the kings of the east or if that is a 200 million demonic army. Doesn't really matter. One quarter of the world dies. So now with two, with two, uh, two specific, uh, one trumpet and one uh, seal, we know at this point that one half of the world is gone. Three plus billion people are now dead. Not 3,000 like 9-11. Three billion plus no longer alive. Now that's only what we know of those seals. This does not include all kinds of other people that are dying at, because it keeps going. Then you have an interlude. Time is up. It's believed that at this point, when the angels begin to proclaim the gospel, that man can't even be saved after this. That there comes a time where you can't get saved. Now, some of these things we don't fully understand, and I don't claim to understand all these things because no one can. Some of them we can understand. But there is a time, it appears that there is a time is up. But the, then the bold judgments come, painful sores and boils, 
The sea turns to blood, and every single creature now dies in the ocean. No whales, no jellyfish, no fish, no porpoises. Everything dies. Not one single thing left living. You know, it's fascinating. All the things that the world has on the world stage at the United Nations um, will come crumbling down. The Save the Ocean campaigns will fail miserably. Right? How about um, things like uh, save the planet and all the vegetation? All the planting of trees won't help. The earth will be scorched. All these things will take place. Now, this isn't to say that we should not take good care of the, you know, my wife laughs at me because I will recycle everything I possibly can. And I'm not some left-leaning save the planet dude. Right? I just believe in being a good steward of what God's given me. So if I use a plastic bottle, I recycle it. I do my best to. But I know for a fact when I can't recycle, my, my recycle thing gets full, I seriously think this. I'm like, well, I did my best, but thank goodness this won't matter. Into the trash can it goes. <laughs> because I know that there's only so much that it will be done before God says, look, that landfill is going to be the least of your problems. Rivers turn to blood. Scorching heat. Total darkness. The Euphrates River dries up and the demons are released to begin to draw the nations to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Why? Because God will bring a final slaughter there at Armageddon. Earthquakes so large, the last bowl, earthquakes are so large that every mountain disappears. Everest, gone. Himalayas, Rockies, gone. Hailstones weighing as much as men are falling out of the sky. And then God says it's finished. This is what's coming. Praise God, if you're saved, you won't be here for this. This is as real as the chair you're sitting on. And in fact, matter of fact, it's more real than the chair you're sitting on. Because God's prophecy stands forever. Let's take a look at the next, um, some key roles, the limited time we have. Let's take a look at the first one of Israel. Key roles and events. We'll get to the pictures up there. That's Mystery Babylon. We'll take a look at that in just a second. But first one is Israel. We would all agree Israel will play a great role in this time Agree to the seven-year peace, which I already talked about. The peace will be broken. The temple, which will be rebuilt, at least either in the first three and a half years or maybe even prior to the tribulation, the temple being rebuilt uh, before Israel is brutally attacked by the Antichrist. Many, many Jewish people will be killed just like Nazi Germany. But many will escape. A remnant will escape into the wilderness. I believe it'll be Petra. I believe they'll be protected there. The Lord talks about, for some reason, Edom and Jordan, modern-day Jordan, for some reason are outside the grip of the Antichrist, which is incredibly bizarre in the world. God puts this little hedge of protection. It's like Goshen in the time of Egypt's plagues, right? Goshen had this ring of angelic protection. It didn't get the plagues. And somehow, a remnant, that's why Jesus says, flee to where? Flee to the mountains, to the wilderness, he said. They're going to know where to go. They may not know it now, but at that time they're going to know where to flee, and they're going to flee, I believe, to Petra, which is modern-day Jordan, which is actually Israel. It's actually Abraham's land. It's not Jordan's land. It actually belongs to Abraham. But they, I believe they'll flee there, and uh, you know, it's pretty clear that in the 12th chapter, uh, Satan himself tries to come and root them out even sends a great flood, but the earth opens up and swallows the water that Israel is, survived, is kept by the hand of God. So there's the nation of Israel and a remnant will be preserved all the way through to the glory of Jesus Christ. Next you have the 144,000 servants of God. Now these are Jewish. Turn with, my, turn with me in your Bibles real quick. Chapter 7, Revelation. These are Jewish servants of God. 
12,000 each from the 12, 000, from the 12 tribes of Israel. Now you'll notice that I put in parentheses, this is a different listing of the tribes found elsewhere in Scripture. Dan and Ephraim are not found here, but they are found in the millennium, meaning that this special purpose God withholds from them, it's a special blessing. They miss out on that blessing, and there's a lot of reasons why we believe that may be the case. But these 144,000 are sealed, and start in verse 3, chapter 7, do not harm the earth, the sea, the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of Israel. Now we see them again in the 14th chapter. They appear as martyrs. All 144,000 appear to do a great work for God and then will be killed by the Antichrist and his forces. But not before they bring a great multitude into the kingdom of God. Um, I, one thing I find fascinating, uh, 1 Corinthians 5.8. You guys may be familiar with this passage. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 5.8. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. 1 Corinthians 5.8. You may have read this verse before and gone right over it. But Paul says, or is it 18? I write the wrong passage down, which I have been known to do at times. So one, one second here. All right, so I'll have to come back and get you the passage. But Paul talks about uh, Paul talks about being one born out of time. Anyone ever read that verse? What's that? Fifteen eight. So I wrote it backwards in my notes. Fifteen eight, uh, and it's one born out of time. It's First Corinthians, right? First Corinthians fifteen eight. Paul speaks of, um, for I am the least apostles who am not worthy. Uh, Last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. Um, that passage also means born early. Now, this is amazing. If Paul is foreshadowing, I don't, I'm not telling you one way or the other, but again, I mean, you understand Midrash. If Paul is foreshadowing the 144,000, and he's saying that my ministry was born early, can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls? No one ever had an impact like this. This is why you can see such a multitude come to the Lord in horrific times, because God... Now, remember how Paul was called. Paul was not called to Christ through some guy like me witnessing to him. Jesus himself called him directly, blinded him, and sealed him for his use. If these 144,000 are called directly by the Lord Jesus, sealed by the Lord, and says, now disperse and preach in this wicked and unbelievably catastrophic day, these 144,000 could have an impact. In the 80s, there was only about 35,000 missionaries worldwide. Can you imagine what 144,000 would do? Now, the Antichrist will war against them like nobody's business because they will be so bold in preaching. Let's take a look at the uh, next, the great multitude. These are those that were redeemed, those that come to Christ, both of Gentile and of Jewish believers, Gentiles and Jews. Uh, alike that come to know the Lord uh, will be part of this great multitude. Then we take a look at the unholy trinity. Uh, okay. Silence in heaven, I did put that in there as well. Silence in heaven is about, um, I'll talk about that real quick. You know that things are great when there is silence in heaven. And this takes place in chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. What God is about to pour out becomes so sobering, even to the throngs of heaven, not a word is spoken. Even the angels say, holy, 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 that never stop. God has everyone be quiet because he's like, what I will now 
pour out in the final vengeance, you would not believe it. Now, if heaven gets quiet, the angels get quiet, it tells you what time this is. The unholy trinity, Revelation 6, you can see that all throughout uh, the book of Revelation you have um, Satan, the Antichrist, the false prophet. They go by other names. The Antichrist has other names as well. The beast, right? The son of perdition, the man of sin, all these different names. Uh, The false prophet, of course, has other names as well, but they are a false trinity. Satan himself will indwell the Antichrist. And you have Satan through the Antichrist and the false prophet making war on the world. The false prophet will bring together all the world's religions. And there'll be a great apostasy, far greater than anything that's ever been seen today. A statue of the Antichrist will be built in the temple, and the statue will actually speak. The Antichrist also... Uh, According to the book of Revelation, the Antichrist appears to be someone who is dead and comes back to life, has a great wound on his head. The Bible says he's killed, uh, as it were, with a sword, but he comes back to life. He has a false resurrection, and the world believes in all of these things, that he is the Messiah, and many Jewish people will believe in him, and many Gentiles will believe in him for a time, and then he'll be revealed. But it's too late for many. Uh, Some will ultimately, after the first half of the tribulation, he will command the world to bear his mark. Scriptures talk about it being 666 on the forehead or on the hand. And if you don't bear his mark, you will be killed, persecuted, ostracized, destroyed. And if you do take the mark, absolutely forfeit any chance of ever being saved. Period. Case closed. Anyone that takes the mark can never be saved. If you resist the mark, you still stay under the opportunity, apparently, to be saved, unless that time is up when the angels begin to cry out that there is actually that time comes to an end. What, what we're saying in the, in the book of Revelation is that God makes it clear that there become walls to grace start to be, start to be driven into the ground. That man has been given so much opportunity with the outstretched arms of Jesus that finally God says, you're going to have to choose between Satan and me. That's what it comes down to. Let's take a look at um, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. This, you got a picture of an image of it up there in the, in the upper left. Not that one can build, but... Um, You can just build them all out if you want. Uh, But Mystery Babylon, Mother of Harlots, Revelation 7, this is the world's religious system all coming together. This is things in the Old Testament like the Queen of Heaven. This is the Tower of Babel. This is the Holy Roman Catholic Church. And uh, all the times, the, the Roman Catholic Church is a great example of this because you see vividly some of these things that have actually taken place where the church and government were actually hand-in-hand, where the papal system and the kings of Europe worked together. Take the Spanish Inquisition. You ever heard of that? Spanish Inquisition is a great example of this, where both the king and queen of Spain were, had the government power, but the Roman Catholic Church was behind their power, and together they murdered and tortured thousands The blood of the saints, drunk with the blood of the saints. You see the mystery Babylon. Uh, We don't know if the seven uh, is is the seven hills of Rome. We don't know if it's the seven continents. We don't know. Uh, But we also know that the ten kingdom horns uh, also take place where the religious system and the political system come together. And it's great harlotry. Now, Jesus hated when he saw this. Remember when he saw the money changers in the temple? Twice he cleared them out. He hated when the religious apostasy and business were actually intermingled together. And you saw that when he drove the money changers out of the temple. When they turned, they turned what was supposed to be the true and living God, the faith and true and living God, into something for profit, and it was a fake, it was a fraud. 
And of course, this religious system will be finally destroyed. It goes all the way back to all the ancient religions all connected together. Babylon the Great, the world's greed, the global business system, likely a specific city will actually be destroyed in this time as well. You have the ten-horned beast with the ten crowns, that the ten kingdoms, that will, they'll hand their authority over to the Antichrist. And at some point, three of them actually kind of think they've done a bad thing, and they try and fight against them, and the Antichrist destroys those three. Again, one of the other wars that probably takes place in the seven-year tribulation. Now, if you read the book of Daniel, you see that the Antichrist does do battle against some other kings, so we know there's multiple wars, and they all appear to be world wars. Again, half the world's population, minimum, is killed. I believe it's a lot more than that. I believe it's probably on the order of three-quarters of the world dies during that time. Michael the archangel, he actually stands up in defense of Israel. He'll actually cast Satan out of... Satan, believe it or not, actually has access to the throne of God even now. Remember when Job, Satan was able to go up and have this conversation about Job? Satan's had that up until a certain point when, when Michael the archangel, who's also mentioned in Jude, who's also mentioned in Daniel, will actually cast Satan out for a final time. He'll never have access again. No more accusing us. He's the accuser of the brethren. And then lastly, the most key role, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, Jesus' name, let let me just read these off as we come to a close. These are all the times Jesus is mentioned in the book of Revelation under different names. Number one, Jesus Christ. Number two, faithful witness. Number three, first begotten of the dead. Number four, prince of the kings of the earth. Number five, alpha and omega. Number six, first and last. Number seven, son, and ma- son of man. Number eight, he that liveth and was dead. Number nine, he that holdeth the seven stars. Number ten, he that walketh in the midst of the golden candlesticks. Number 11, he who hath a sharp sword and two edges. Number 12, son of God. Number 13, he who searches the uh, minds and hearts. Number 14, he that hath the seven spirits of God. Number 15, he that hath the seven stars. Number 16, he that is holy and true. Number 17, he that hath the key of David. Number 18, he that openeth and no man shutteth. 19, he that shutteth and no man openeth. 20, the amen. 21, the faithful and true witness. 22, the beginning of creation of God. 23, Lord. 24, Lion of the tribe of Judah. 25, the root of David. 26, a lamb that has been slain. 27, the lamb. 28, Lord of lords. 29, King of kings. 30, faithful and true. 31, the rider on the white horse. 32, the word of God. 33, Christ. 34, the Lord of God of the holy prophets. 35, the beginning and the end. 36, the bright and morning star. Who's the central theme of Revelation? Jesus. It's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's ironic that Jesus is the central theme, and yet laid out in such horrific details, which I haven't scratched the surface to convey to you today, is this wrath wrath and destruction that Jesus foretells the disciples there on the Mount of Olives, tells them what's going to happen, and then it's revealed to John in excruciating detail all that takes place, and the central theme of it all is all this, it is a all-in or all-out proposition. It is a, you receive, I read something that just struck me, and one of the the Bible scholars I read, I know I've probably heard this before, but if I did, I forgot it. We are not just saved to God. We're saved from God. We've got to get that in our heads and our hearts, amen? If you're saved... And you look at the 36 names of Jesus there. You're not just saved to him. You're saved from him. 
Does that strike you? That you're not just saved to him. Yes, you now, if you're saved, you have his loving arms around you for all eternity. But if you're not saved, the scriptures say it this way, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a angry God. You saw Isaiah chapter 34, that we're not just saved to the Lord, but from the Lord. And this is who Jesus is. That's why he is just as much a lion as he is a lamb. For me, he's both my lion and my lamb. Amen? How about you? Sobering, sobering things that are coming. It all ends when the entire world, after all the opportunities, all the things that have taken place, all the seals, all the judgments. You know, one of the, ju- one of the, uh, one of the seals tells us that, um, and this again speaks to how much will change between the earth, God will completely turn it upside down. When Noah came off the ark, he, he told Noah that I will put in the animals of the earth the fear and dread of you. This is why, generally speaking, most animals try and avoid you. You go through the woods and you go camping, you there and you're like, I didn't see a single wild animal. There must not have been any. (laughs) Some of them were feet away from you, but they keep quiet and stay out of your sight. You know, one of the seals, seal judgments, it says that when uh, it talks about a third of the world being killed, that the beasts of the earth are listed. I really believe, according to that, there'll be a time when even all the animals of the earth will have no fear of man whatsoever. They, your own dog would turn on you. It's going to happen. People will have to kill their own pets just to make sure they're not attacked. Everything will be turned upside down. The earth, the mountains go one way, the islands go another way, the animal behavior goes to something that no one's ever seen. You've got, you know, if you, if you don't like birds, they won't like you either at that time. Where God just unleashes. And Jesus says, but you don't have to endure these things. You don't have to endure these things. I've come that you might have life. And finally, all the world that's left, whatever people remain, we'll get to next week, we're like, who survives the tribulation? Amazingly enough, the people that survive it are what I, as best I can tell, um, those that don't take the mark of the beast, a remnant, and the remnant of Israel that is, that is saved by the Lord and Petra. Everyone else will be slaughtered by the Lord. When Jesus comes down, the armies of the world will be gathered there in Jerusalem to actually attack Israel. Instead, they turn on each other, and the Lord destroys them. The blood will be up to the horse's bridle. 200 miles of blood. And Jesus said, you know what? One of the reasons why the rivers are turned to blood, why the seas are turned to blood, it's because God says, you've killed all my saints for so long. You love blood, you will have blood. And yet Jesus, the central figure of the whole prophecy, the epicenter of all of eternity, and and Jesus is, what did he shed? He shed blood. You either get his blood, or the Lord says you'll have your own blood on your hands. And that's what it all comes down to. And I know that this has not been a... Uh, for me, uh, I've, I've labored in these things so much. This has not been really a fun study for me, nor has it really been something I truly enjoy preaching and teaching. Because I... The longer I absorb these things, the Lord makes it really clear to me this stuff is absolutely around the corner and will happen. And it'll come like a flood, the Scripture said. It'll come like a thief in the night. It'll look like things will go on forever just like they are that will be in the same holding pattern. You ever been in a holding pattern in an airplane? You were almost there. I was all, I've had this happen. I've been in New York and Atlanta where we were almost ready to land, and all of a sudden the pilot says this, uh, folks, there's going to be a slight delay. 
Looks like uh, there's some trouble down uh, Atlanta Hartsfield International Airport, so we're going to have to stay in a holding pattern. Should be only about 15 minutes. You just sit back and relax. It's never 15 minutes. <laughs> that means 40. That's pilot speak for 40. And then you're in a holding pattern. But all of a sudden, without even even knowing, all of a sudden I can tell in the holding pattern because all of a sudden there's a descent begins. Folks, that's where we're at. Amen? Yeah, there's a holding pattern. I think the world's been in a holding pattern since, since probably 1948, 1967, somewhere in there we've been in a holding pattern. But the holding pattern won't last forever. But let's us not be in a holding pattern. Let's actually be preaching the kingdom of God until he returns. Amen?